0: I'm excited about the vision for growing God's church, uh, because when you take everything else away, when you take away manly, you take away the day-to-day, and that's uh, really all that matters is growing God's kingdom. Okay, Acts 2, 14-41, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, "'Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose.' It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in, heaven, in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and knew that God had promised him an oath, that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all who call the lord our god for all whom the lord our god will call with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptized And about 3,000 were added to their number that day.
1: Thank you, Mitch. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we can be here today. And I do pray that your word would excite and warm and challenge our hearts and transform us. And Father, may we, as your people, be involved in this great vision of growing your church through the gospel. And Father, as we start this series, Father, do instruct us and inspire us as we think what that means for us here at Manly. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let me um, start with a question as we think about this question of growing God's church. And the question is this, uh, what have you started recently or previously that has changed your life in some way that you find yourself spruking its benefits to people without even being asked, almost unconsciously. Now I know sometimes people can go on diets and you may have been the recipient of um, advice um, and I've been there and people have told me how I should not eat sugar and uh, they're kind of very evangelical about it, if I can put it that way. Um, and it becomes not so much sharing as preaching and the person almost unconsciously is just sharing and you look at them you think yeah well it's obviously working because they've lost a whole bunch of kilos uh, and so it must have something in it. Um, I got involved a year ago with a group called the Pink Caps and what struck me about it is um, six months on I found myself unconsciously spruking its benefits to people. Um, and many of you will know I'm a surfer, and I'd surfed for many years, um, about the last 10 years, uh, which was a wonderful time, but then I fell off my skateboard. Thank you for not laughing too much. Uh, When I went to see my doctor uh, a couple of weeks in, because I wondered if I'd broken my arm, uh, he said, what happened to your wrist? I said, I fell off my skateboard, and he did this. (coughs) And sat there trying not to laugh at me. I said, thank you, John, you've done what everyone else has done. You can laugh. Anyway, uh, my wrist didn't get better, and I went to see the physio, in fact, John Appleby from 5 o'clock. And John said to me, uh, because I couldn't push up on my surfboard, and I was quite distressed by this, um, he said, you really should try swimming. It will actually help your wrist get better. Um, Low impact. And so, almost reluctantly, I went down and joined the Pink Caps. And if you know Bruce Baird, that's Mike's dad, he comes at 8 o'clock, And he'd said to me many, many times, Bruce, you should come down for a swim, it's fantastic. And I'd go, yeah, Bruce, I'm okay, I go surfing. Uh, Anyway, I found myself down there and it took me um, quite a while to get across and back first time, had to stop a few times. Uh, But after about five times, I could make the journey um, successfully back and forward, I got rid of the flippers um, and even by summer, I got rid of the wetsuit, which is a great aid in terms of flotation. Um, And all of a sudden, I found myself telling people, you should come too. Uh, and in fact, I'd say to you this morning, if you want to get fit, it is a great way to get fit. And the reason I've loved it, and just put your hand up if you're part of the Pink Caps community here. Just, There's people here, come on. We want a testimony here this morning. <laughs> there's a bunch of you, I know, I see you down there. Um, there's an incredible benefit in terms of well-being of just being fit. And there's a wonderful if I can say, rush about actually just going in the water in the morning. Anyway, you don't need to hear it all from me. (laughs) Why do I mention this? Because it is exciting and life-changing as a swimmer to be part of the bold and beautiful? No. I want to say there's something far more significant to be a part of and something far more exciting to actually partake in and it's the movement of the gospel and growing God's church through the gospel. I think that is the most significant life-changing community and movement and endeavor that anyone can be involved with and I pray we would be people who just naturally speak about the gospel Not under compulsion or guilt, but as a church, there would just be a natural sense within us, a joy, unrestrained, to want to see the gospel go forward, the church to grow, and people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And our new vision that we launched on the 28th of August is that we would grow God's church through the gospel and we do that by making disciples, faithful disciples who share God's love, grace and truth in manly and beyond. And what we're going to be doing over these next five, six weeks is exploring what that means for us and in particular the core values for the church that will undergird that. And I've picked the book of Acts, as Scott said, it's a very exciting book to read. And if you're not familiar with it, do take the time over this period just to read through all 28 chapters. Uh, It's very encouraging, exciting, challenging, stimulating to see how God worked back then and the church to grow so rapidly. But one of the questions you ask when you um, start to study kind of church history is, why did the church grow so rapidly in those first three centuries? And it is incredibly rapid, what happens. Now, if you've got your Bibles, open up, we're at chapter 1 of Acts, and we've had read kind of the back end of chapter 2. I'm going to give a message basically encapsulating all of chapter 1 and 2. And for those in the small groups, you'll get to look in more detail uh, at specifics of chapter 2. But if you get to chapter 1, verse 15, have a look with me. It says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 And the church started with this very small group of people, less people than are here this morning. Worth recognising that, significantly less. And they're in an upper room and they're gathered there. And that's where the church started from. By the end of chapter 2, there's about 10,000 people who are now part of the church. Now you'll read there, it says 3,000 people responded... They typically only counted men in those days. When you incorporate, if I can say, uh, the women and the kids, you would have had a number over 10,000 people that had responded. When you get to the end of the book of Acts, 28 chapters later and 30 years later, uh, this message of the gospel is going global and nothing can stop it. And it's worth asking the question, why did it grow so rapidly? Why? I want to give us four reasons Uh, and we're going to look at those this morning. Firstly, the early church understood they had a commission. Secondly, they had received power from the Holy Spirit. Third, they had a compelling message which they believed was for the whole world. And fourthly, they offered people new life. And the question I've got as we look at this today is, do we? Do we as a church understand that we are commissioned by the living God to take the gospel out? Uh, Do we as a church, or have we as a church, received power from the Holy Spirit? Thirdly, do we believe that the message of Jesus Christ is a compelling message for the whole world? And lastly, do we offer people new life? Let's have a look at those four questions. Firstly... Uh, They understood they had a commission, do we? You can't really understand the growth of the early church without understanding the Great Commission. And Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts are really a two-volume work. And what's interesting is the end of the first volume ends with a commission. The beginning of the second volume starts with a commission. Let me read them to you. If you've got your Bibles there, you could look at Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Jesus instructs the disciples, this is what is written... The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, there is a message that must go out to the world. It's about me and the forgiveness of sins and repentance. That's how Luke ends the first volume. He starts the second volume, chapter 1, verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's different phrases in the commission, but it's the same meaning. You are to take the message about me to the ends of the world. And the story of the growth of the church is fascinating. Because as you go through Acts, that's what's recorded. Now, it's worth acknowledging and saying this. The book of Acts is fascinating for many reasons. One is just the incredible stories human stories that you pick up through the story here's just four stories that capture my attention and i've often wondered gee, i would have liked to have known more about Um, wouldn't you like to know more about the Ethiopian treasurer now it's such a remarkable story of this treasurer from Ethiopia who's a eunuch he's in a chariot he's reading Isaiah 53 Philip comes and explains actually this suffering servant that you're reading about that you've got no idea about is actually A prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes to faith in Jesus, he's baptized and he disappears. Have you ever wondered what happened in Ethiopia when he came back? It'd be a great story. What about the Roman centurion Cornelius? A God-fearing man, seeking God, has a vision, Peter comes, explains the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls, Cornelius is converted. We don't hear a thing afterwards about him. Or the Philippian jailer, really a wonderful story Um, he is beside himself because Paul has escaped because an angel has come and let Paul out of the jail that he's guarding he's afraid for his life because if he found out that he has lost prisoners on his watch he may die Paul comes back leads him to Christ the whole family converted they're baptized at midnight and we don't hear anymore you wonder what happened when he went back to his work (laughs) Or proconsul Sergius Paulus, who's the Roman governor of the island of Cyprus. He was converted through hearing Paul preach. And there's many other stories that are in the book of Acts. The fascinating thing is the story just keeps going. And you hear of these people getting converted because what the story is all about is actually the way the message of the gospel goes out. The way the word of God keeps going forward. And when you read it you get these phrases, the Word of God continued to increase and multiply and people kept coming to faith. You see, at the centre of the expansion of the church was the advancement of this message of the Gospel. And the early church understood this and they left homes because of it. They sold properties up for it They endured persecution as a result of it. They resisted government authorities who tried to stop it. And they understood they were commissioned to be witnesses of it. It's the message of the gospel of Christ. And they were commissioned to take it out. And the question I've got for us is, do we understand that of ourselves? That is our commission. Secondly, they'd receive power from the Holy Spirit and the question comes, have we? The second great movement in chapters 1 to 2 is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. If The first major thing that happens is they're commissioned but even in the commissioning you start to see the need of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you must wait, you cannot go and do this job of being my witnesses until power comes. Chapter 2 verse 1 says this, have a look at chapter 2 verse 1, page 1091. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it's a remarkable event that took place, a very unique one. Uh, They're there, they're gathered, and the Spirit of God falls. And it's worth saying three things. It was audible. It's like a rushing wind came through the room that they're sitting in. And if you can imagine, I mean, the doors are open on the course, so as they often are, a wind just rushed through. It was visible. Tongues of fire appeared to rest on each of them. And thirdly, it was tangible. They began to speak in other tongues. And it's worth saying what is spoken of there is the languages of the nations around them. This happened on the day of Pentecost, and Pentecost was a festival, also called the Festival of Weeks. It was roughly 50 days after the Passover, or what we now celebrate as Easter. And they're all gathered. And people from the nations had come who were Jewish of origin to celebrate this festival literally you had all range of languages and tongues being spoken and the disciples start to speak in their tongues. It'd be like this morning if you heard wind come, fire fall and we're speaking Korean and Japanese and Arabic and African languages and Spanish and American, sorry no, they do speak English. Um, But the language of the nations are being spoken And you see, there was a power that came at that event. And when you look in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was given to particular people for special tasks and He would come and then leave them. But here on this day, what was given was for all believers, men and women, young and old. And it was given to them so that they would have power to be witnesses And when you read through the book of Acts, at one level, it's the story of how the message goes forward. At another level, it's a story of how the Spirit-empowered disciples bring this message. Uh, Have a look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31, and we're going to come to that passage next week. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit... And they spoke the word of God boldly. And it's fascinating, that phrase there, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that is this. Um, Acts chapter 2, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, in in a very tangible way. But yet, as they go about their mission, God, you might say, refills them. The Spirit fills them again and gives them power. And what you see being if I can say shown to us is that they all had the spirit yet for special tasks and season they would receive more of the spirit and the language of filling was there for the task of witnessing they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly let me stop and ask us a very important pastoral question and it's very simply this are we filled with the Holy Spirit Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And I don't expect the Holy Spirit to fall in exactly the same way with visible tongues of fire and the sound of rushing winds. Though that is possible, and I've heard occurrences where that has taken place. What I do take from the book of Acts and this early beginning is the absolute indispensable necessity of possessing the Holy Spirit as a church and as individuals if we're to grow His church... You see, we need him absolutely. We need the Spirit of God firstly to understand the gospel. He opens our eyes so that we understand who Christ is. We need the Spirit of God to give us confidence and assurance that we belong to him. We need the Spirit of God to minister to our spirit that we are his, that we are, uh, we are forgiven. We need the Spirit of God to fill us with joy and love. We need the Spirit of God to give us power to witness. And you see, the question is, do we know that reality in our life? The reality of knowing that we're forgiven, not just in our heads, yes, I can say God sent Jesus to die for my sins, but I actually know in my heart that I've been forgiven. Do I know in my heart the love and joy of God that comes from the Spirit? such that i just speak of the things of god do i know the assurance that gives you comfort do i know his power to witness to jesus christ in the world irregardless of what people may say or think i want to just stop and say if you are not aware of the spirit of god i would encourage you pray fill me, I want you in my life. And look to the Lord Jesus and ask him to fill you with his spirit and to come into your life. Thirdly, they had a compelling message for the world. What is it really that you are most excited about and you talk about the most? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? What do you catch yourself thinking about when you're not thinking about much? The thing that always strikes me and convicts me is when you look at the early church, what they were most excited about and compelled by was this message about Jesus. And I want you to think about if you were there in that room when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Imagine right now there's this rushing wind coming through here. I mean, it'd be incredible. And if you turn around and you go, oh, look, there's... William, your hair's on fire, actually, but it's not burning up. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you started to hear us speaking in the languages of a nation. And then someone came and asked, Bruce, what's going on here? I mean, they would ask, let me tell you. (laughs) Because it was very unusual what took place. I think the natural thing, if we had experienced this, would be this. That we would leave and talk about the phenomena of what's taken place the wind, the tongues of fire, the languages. And I would very much understand why people would do that because it is so unusual. What is fascinating though is that is not what Peter does. Because he is asked what's going on. I mean, the reality is they thought they were drunk. And you have a look at chapter 2 verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. In other words, let me tell you what's going on. Um, These people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what the prophet Joel said and he basically quotes a passage from the Old Testament that says the Spirit of God would come and would be upon all people. And then he says, okay, what's it all about? And he tells them about Jesus. Fellow Israelites, verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And he starts to unpack the message of the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. And gospel is a word that just means good news, big news, authoritative news. And he takes the opportunity, having experienced one of the most incredible, if I can say, spiritual encounters, to preach Jesus. And the Spirit was given to give him power to preach Jesus. He's not caught up with the phenomena. He's caught up with proclaiming the gospel. And there's an incredible directness about it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. Now imagine there's a whole bunch of Jewish people here and I'm one of the disciples and I've seen them hang Jesus up through the Romans. Well, Peter just stares them eyeball to eyeball. You killed him with the help of wicked people. But this is what I want to tell you. God raised him from the dead. In other words, I've got good news for you. The story is not over. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. He then quotes a psalm about King David and about resurrection. And he says, you know David's dead and buried, don't you? Yes, he is dead and buried, but this Jesus is alive and risen from the grave. And you see that in verse 32 God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of it exalted to the right hand of God he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear for David did not ascend to heaven and he quotes Psalm 110 therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified Lord and Christ Lord and Messiah As you go through the story of the book of Acts, there is one message that they cannot be quietened, they cannot be silenced about. And it's this message that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he's died for them, and he is now the living Lord and King. And you see, they were compelled by this message. They knew it was a message for everyone. Let me just stop and ask the question, why do we want to raise $125,000 for our non-tax-deductible mission partners? Well, a very simple explanation is this, because we want to partner and grow God's church through the gospel outside of manly. And that's one of the reasons why we've changed the vision, to have a bigger vision for what we are wanting to do in partnering with gospel ministry. And I remember two years ago when we raised money last time for our mission partners and every week I'd think to myself, yeah, I want to give money to that. And I want to look you in the eyes today and say, who wouldn't want to support a guy who is one of our indigenous brothers? And let me get political, who we stole the land from and is wanting to raise up the next generation of leaders in the country. And we're still working out what partnership we might be able to continue with Broken Hill Church. And if it's possible, we're going to try and make that happen. Um, Neville's still working those out. When we know the details, we'll let you know. But we know Neville and Kathy, they're great people. And we must support our Indigenous ministry in the country. As the people who were first stewards of this land under God. And have been dispossessed of so much... We must. Now let me say, every week's going to be like this. (laughs) Next week you're going to hear about Heal Africa and the work they do in Bridge of Hope in Monado. And you see, we have these mission partners because all of them are so significant in terms of partnering and gospel ministry around the world because there's a message that must go out. Lastly... They offered new life. Do we? A really important question to ask people when you think about inviting someone to become a Christian is this, what are we offering them? And I want to say this to you and I want to say particularly the people who may not yet know if they're Christian or not or they're new to the things of the Christian faith, you might have just walked in recently and you're exploring the Christian faith This is what we offer you. It's what the disciples offered those in front of them the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 38. Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First part, repent. Turn around. In other words, come to Christ. And here's the wonderful news if you will come to Christ, Peter says. Firstly, you'll have your sins forgiven. In other words, there's a fresh start with God. The Christian faith is about the removal of shame, guilt, and about our sin being taken away. And being replaced with love and a new identity as God's loved son and daughter that's what forgiveness means our sin that we have committed against the holy living God is taken away and with that our shame and our guilt I can tell you that is a wonderful message because what it means is there is no one who is too far away or too sinful or too broken for God and we have a message for everyone That anyone who wants to repent can have their sins forgiven and receive eternal life. Now, I don't want to sound like a steak knife salesman, but I've got more. He offers not just the forgiveness of sins, but he actually offers himself to us and to enter our life personally through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he says you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and that is the wonderful news that God actually comes to dwell in us friends we have good news to offer we have a new life that we offer people in Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and I want to just ask you this morning do you know that life have you received Christ and had your sins forgiven and received new life in his name and been filled with his spirit so that you have that confidence and assurance and love and joy and peace and patience and power to serve him in the world because that's what's on offer that's what the gospel is about and i'm going to stop and pray for people who might like to receive christ this morning but i want to just conclude before i do that by saying this When you ask the question, why did the early church grow so rapidly? It's because they absolutely knew they were commissioned. And they were commissioned by the living God. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit so that they had a power and an assurance and a joy that just filled them. And they discovered a message of good news that compelled them, Christ risen from the dead... And they went out and offered anyone and everyone new life in his name. And that message could not be stopped. And it's worth saying, the book of Acts is not triumphalistic. You record various forms of suffering and opposition through the story. Jesus said to Paul when Paul was converted, Paul, actually, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer in my name. Paul, when talking to the churches in Acts 14, warned the disciples, actually, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul's personal testimony, Acts chapter 20, he said, I know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. But the book of Acts is not just, if I can say, squashing out triumphalism, it's not false optimism... Because nothing stops the growth of the gospel and the growth of God's church. Nothing. Uh, External opposition can't stop the gospel. Acts chapter 4 and 5 and 6 shows us this. We're going to see that next week. Internal hypocrisy, Acts chapter 5, we're going to come to that the week after. It can't stop the gospel. Um, Church frictions can't stop the gospel. Acts chapter 6, we're going to see that week 4. Martyrdom can't stop the gospel. Acts chapter 7 and 8... State persecution can't stop the gospel, that's chapter 12. Orthodox religious traditions can't stop the gospel, Acts 15. Economic opposition can't stop the gospel, Acts 16 and 19. Unjust courts can't stop the gospel, Acts 18, 24 and 25. Storms and shipwrecks, just the physical dangers of life, they can't stop the gospel, Acts 27. And not even throwing people in in jail can stop the gospel, that's the way the story finishes... Paul's in jail, but the gospel keeps going out. Friends, this is what God is about. Growing his church through the gospel. And I call you to be part of this place, St Matthew's, that wants to be part of that mission and that vision. As we take the gospel to the world, both here in Manly and in partnering with others, Who are working around the globe as we seek to make disciples. But I want to stop now and pray and I just want us just to be quiet and think about those four questions in your heart and whether you need to receive Christ this day and be filled with his spirit and have your sins wiped away, wiped clean. Let's just stop and pray. And if you need to come to the Lord Jesus this day, just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and I come to you. Please forgive me. Wipe away my shame and guilt, fill me with your Holy Spirit afresh so that I might know I'm yours and part of your family. Give me joy and peace and love in believing." And fill me this day with your Holy Spirit so that I might have power to be your witness in the world. In Jesus' name, Amen.